Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have Shauna Rissick. And Shauna had a near-death experience in a horrible, tragic car accident. But in her NDE, she encountered a council of light beings that not only changed her near-death, but changed her life. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Shauna Rissick. How you doing, Shauna? Doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you sharing your your remarkable journey with us. And hopefully this interview or this conversation will bring some some healing, some peace, some information to the world. So that's that's the goal of this anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my first question to you, my dear, is before you had your near-death experience, what was your life like? Were you a spiritual person? Were you religious? Um, I wasn't very religious. I grew up uh, in the Midwest where um, Christianity was the main religion and the main sort of concept of reality. Um, and But my family was not religious. They were more on the science sort of uh, rational side. Um, but I did go to church one for a summer when I was a kid because I wanted to know what all this God stuff was about. And I realized pretty quickly, it was a Baptist church, and I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't the God that I knew because I had a pretty close relationship with this spirit thing and you know this this uh, this god and wasn't the same one so i kind of pushed it away a little bit and then um but i did have a lot of uh, spiritual experiences when i was a kid i thought my house was haunted and um had a lot of door shutting seeing different disincarnate spirits or you know uh hearing the stairs creak and uh, drawers rattling or just lots of different things like that and um then i sat my parents on the couch and told them you know house is haunted and I need some help and they're like oh that's just the active imagination of a child and uh I said you just wait you'll see and at that moment the door the doorbell went off by itself and the attic fan went off by itself um but of course to them the doorbell had a short and the attic fan just wasn't turned off all the way obviously obviously so you know that made me really realize that I didn't have a lot of support in this and whatever I was experiencing and I really shut it down and tried to um, not experience those sort of things anymore because I thought, you know, either I'm, I'm not safe or I'm, I'm cuckoo or something. What, what's going on here? And, um, and then like, I'd seen like the exorcist and that pretty much freaked me out and did me in. And then I was really scared for a bunch of years and I learned this technique. I don't want to see us. I don't want to see us. I don't want to see us. Go away. <laughs> so yeah, the exorcist uh, didn't didn't do anybody a favor in this no, in this world. <laughs> That's so true. So, but then um, when I was getting into my you know high school years, I was I started modeling and um, was doing that sort of uh, genre of work and 
finishing high school and felt like I had really shut off a part of myself because of that fear. But I was still so afraid I, I hadn't really wanted to open it back up. And then after I graduated high school, I um, left home pretty quickly, got a job as a bridal consultant at a mall so I could still be modeling on the side, you know, trying to get a career going. But I was in Kansas City and that's not really a big, at that point, wasn't a real big hub for models, especially models that look a little more exotic like I do, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, just kind of struggling with that and going to college, but not really sure why, just because that's what you're supposed to do. And then I lost my job and a woman in my class was like, I know how you can make some money and but you got to be willing to do it. And I was like, I'll do it, whatever. And um, it was a strip bar. So I ended up working in a strip bar as a dancer for about a year. And um, I thought it was a good idea because I was kind of fed up with, you know, going out in the evenings and dealing with men, manhandling and all of that. No offense. But um, it was like, well, hey, you know, at least I'm kind of benefiting from that. Uh, and thought it would be a way to make good money and I could still leave and go and go sees and modeling and stuff like that. But then, you know, after a while of doing it, kind of got a little jaded, got a little fed up. Um, and it really started changing me. Um, so I kind of, I thought I wanted out and I was trying to find a way out. I moved back home with my parents at that point and was trying to figure it out. They didn't know what I did. I kind of lied. <laughs> um, wasn't really proud of it. Um, sure. um, and then, you know, I remember sitting at coffee one night with the with my close friend at that time. And I told him, I said, you know, I know I came here for a reason. I, I, I'm sure I have, but this place is really hard. <laughs> it's really hard here. And man, what people treat each other. And I think I want to renege my contract. I just, I just want to go, I just want to be done. And that was kind of just one of those things you say at like, you know, 4 a.m. after working in a strip ball all night, drinking coffee at sure. 4 a.m., you know, in a, in a, in a, a breakfast shop um maybe maybe it isn't something that people say <laughs> something i said no you know what look listen I, I've, I've been in many denny's at four o'clock in the morning in my early 20s and things were said i'm gonna say it things are <laughs> stupid things are said at four o'clock at a denny's or an ihop <laughs> <laughs> right so it's not it's like you know what this is hard I, can i renege this contract because i'm tired of this yeah. and it's just kind of like a thing you just kind of just kind of thing that flows out of your mouth and you just don't even think about it right 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 so um i had you know i was kind of trying to date or whatever you know and just you know basically at that point like in your 20s you know it's all about people wanting your pants you know and I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going out with these guys and that's all they're wanting. And then I go to work and at least they're paying me to see that, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, these guys are asking me to go on trips with them. Why don't I do that? You know, and that was just my working wow. brain starting to rationalize that um, at least I'd be getting something out of it. So I went on one trip um, that was uh, at the end in fall of 93. And that was to Georgia because Atlanta was an up and coming hub in the modeling industry at that point. So I thought, well, I'll just go. I told the guys only on the up and up, no funny business. I get my own room. It's separate. You know, I'm not, mm -hmm. no, no funny business involved. And uh, he just said, I'm just bored and lonely and they just want company. Okay. So I'll just go to some go sees and go check out some agencies. And then, um, got there. And then, you know, when I was there, it was, he called me in his room when I was pretty clear he had other plans. Um, and then, you know, I kind of froze and he was like, you don't want this, go back to your room. So I gracefully escaped. <laughs> and, uh, and I was laying in my bed that night and I was like, 
you know, what am I doing here? How far am I really going to take this? Because this is going to be soul damage. If I, you know, go through with this, this is really going to leave a mark that's going to really influence my relationships and my life from here on out. And, and I knew that, but I was kind of down this path and I had another trip planned for Christmas day. Um, and with another client or customer, and that one was a friend of the owner, but you know, like how, how safe is that? It's a street bar owner. (laughs) (laughs) You mean to tell me that the strip bar owner's friends aren't reputable? Like nice guy. (laughs) Right. So, So, so I fell asleep at night, at night in bed, and I was really contemplating all this. And um, I don't know, do you know how, like, sometimes when you think you're going to go somewhere, like, you think in your head, I'm going to go to the grocery store, and you kind of imagine yourself going sure. there. you walk through the and, path, and, you know, yeah. Yourself, you know, getting out and going, well, I was like, okay, let me just imagine what this trip to, to Minnesota is going to look like, the Christmas Day trip. And I, I couldn't imagine it. And I was like, why can't I imagine it? That's so weird. And I'm like, I can't even see myself getting there. I'm like, well, okay, can I even imagine myself going to the airport? I couldn't even imagine that. And I was like, wow. So I'm contemplating all of this as I fall asleep that night. And then I wake up in the middle of the night and I sit up in bed and I'm like, holy cow, I'm going to be in a car accident and it's going to be a miracle if I survive. And I was like, oh, self-fulfilling prophecy. Don't even think that way. Push that aside, push that aside, push that aside. And I just, you know, went back to Kansas after that trip and, you know, then Christmas Day arrived, and that was the day for that that Minnesota trip, um, and that's when the the whole accident happened. Before we get to your to your near death experience, I just want to kind of dig into just a little bit because this is something that so many of us do, and you know, to a certain extent, I've done it in other areas of my life, where you you make you comp- you compromise yourself once, then you compromise yourself again, and then you start to rationalize. Mm-hmm. And you start to rationalize and you start to rationalize. With me, it was a, it was making a movie with a mobster. One step here, another step there. All of a sudden, a year later, you're like, oh my God, am I in the mob? Like I, 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 my, my life is being threatened on a daily basis. Is this? But it's, it's, it's one of those things that you completely lose track of. And you, and if someone have told you that at the beginning, you were like, no way I'm going down I'm this I'm never going to do that. Not me. Right. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But then all of a sudden, because you just like com- continuously um, rationalize and rationalize and rationalize, well, you know, right. it's going right. to be okay. Well, right. at least I'm getting something out of it. Well, same thing for well, me. Like, you know, at least, it's better than this, you know, well, you know, it's not that yeah. big a deal. For me, it was like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm following my dream and oh, I'm, I'm meeting movie stars, but my life is being threatened on a daily basis, but it's okay. And I'll just, I'm still alive. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm still, I'm young. I'm so, so I just want people listening that that is a dangerous place yeah. to start walking when you start to compromise once and then twice. And that's in relationships. That's with jobs. That's with every aspect of life. But I just really wanted to focus that uh, and thank yeah. you so much for sharing that part of your life because it's yeah. an important lesson for people to listen to because especially younger people, older too, but mm-hmm. younger specifically, we are dodo heads in our well, 20s. I think, <laughs> I think it's when we really, you know, let our mind and this rationalization, you know, and at that age, you know, that's when that's really kicking in. That's when we're starting to really develop it and cultivate our mind or our ego mind or whatever you want to call that, right? And we need it, right? But 
we can get so caught up in the stories and the rationalizations that we forget to drop into who we really are because all the messages are there. There's a big part of me that was like, uh, this isn't going to go so well. This is soul damage. What the hell are you doing? You know, I'm contemplating this. I'm sure even you, you're, there's a part of you that was like, this isn't okay. Every day. We just set it up. Can't hear you. You know, you push it. The thing is you kind of push it aside and you, and it's yelling at you. It's right. yelling at it's you. It's you. It's your intuition. It's your soul. It's your it's your spirit self. I mean, whatever you want to call that. It's so- somebody is somebody is yelling at you, and you mm-hmm. get this instinct and this feeling, but you have such a the ego and the mind is so powerful at that place, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it just silences it, and it's day to day, and it's just it's a like, stop, stop, nah, no, nah, it's not me. Stop that you're going down the wrong way. Nah, nah, it's okay, it's okay. And we all get those opportunities to start to listen, don't we? <laughs> and it's one or the we other, either. <laughs> for me it was something I, I you know for you it seems like it was a car accident for me it was like the universe like okay they're not listening we're gonna have to do something to wake this person up. <laughs> well i always say this it's like the universe starts with a whisper yeah then, exactly. then a tap then a nudge then a push and it just yep. gets escalating till it's like from a slap to a punch i'm like sledgehammer nope okay. car, car act, piano falls from the sky and hits you in the head like totally. something something has to happen to you for you to wake up so let's go to your piano falling which is Wait, your car what was your piano falling so my piano you know what i'll be honest with you for me was i wish i would have had a piano falling but i didn't mine wound itself out on its own oh, i wow. i never left i was literally gave was given an exit out but because if you would have had a if i would have had a piano fall on me that would have been it and i would have been a way out but for me it was much worse oh, wow. because it was it took two years wow. of mental reconstruction afterwards that i just had to i got destroyed so far much worse than if i would have just been slapped or right. punched or you know so something itself maybe was the piano exactly that was like okay i want to make sure that this person never does this again (laughs) so let's torture him oh he's going to torture himself for about two years we're going to bring him to the edge of bankruptcy almost go homeless just on the brink but he's going to have to pull himself out so all this was about a two-year process for me as opposed to if i would have gotten into a car accident let's say or something would have happened I would have been given a, a, a release so much. I wish I would have had a near-death experience, but quiet. Well, no, no, back then, back then, not now. <laughs> you know, that's that's all relative, my friend, because, you know, yeah. honestly, you know, it was probably seven years after my accident before I felt like I wasn't just picking up pieces anymore. And it was at least three years before I felt like I was stable enough on the ground to keep walking. It's, it's, a, it's a process. It's a, no, it's a, and I was going to say, I said two years, but it, it really, I didn't, direct the film again for four years i didn't go near a camera for four years that was my career i've been doing it 30 years so it was substantial so yes enough about me yeah your car accident okay um so let's see so i christmas day arrived and i was living with my parents and we were going to do the normal little christmas thing you know we all come downstairs and we open up gifts and we have food and all that stuff and we did that and then um they my family my brother and my parents left to go see to go extended family and i was just going to go upstairs take a nap and then get ready to leave 
and then I fell asleep and then I overslept and then I woke up and I was like ah, what are you doing? so I put the clothes and I jumped into my car and I'm zooming down the road and get up on the highway and this is back you know in the 90s when we had when cell phones were just starting and there were those bag phones that you plug into the cigarette lighter and I thought I was cool because I actually had one you know and um and cigarette I'm sorry and seat belts weren't legal at the time you didn't have to wear them you know you I mean they were legal but they weren't illegal um and so I I hadn't been wearing one but something you've been telling me that whisper for about two weeks you need to wear your seatbelt so I put my seatbelt on I was zooming down the highway I was going about 75 I think the speed limit was 60 at the point that point I was flying down the highway going past a car going over a bridge and I was like okay I need to get call this guy and tell him I'm on my way I'm not going to be late but I'm going to be really close so so he won't think I'm not you know not going to make it he's going to wait for me so i bend over the, the the phone was in the floorboard of my passenger side of my car so i'm like okay well i gotta go over this bridge at least and i gotta pass this car at least and so i go over the bridge and i'm just about past the car so i take the seatbelt off and i bend over to pick it up and as i come up i came close to hitting the car i was passing and so i swerved to miss and what i think happened is that i fishtailed and then I, I think I thought I was going to pull over and catch my breath because that's kind of what I remembered happening when I started coming out of the coma. But that's not what happened. I think what happened is that I, I nosedived into the median um, and then I flipped end over end across the median, which was about like two lanes of traffic. And then I flipped end over end across the two lanes of traffic going the other direction. And then they found me about 40 feet from the car, um, face down, turning blue, just blood. Um, oh my God. At this. Car behind me was a nurse. She saw the whole thing. And the next car from the other direction was also a nurse. So there were two nurses, thank God, immediately there on the scene. Um, they said basically all she did was try to hold my airway when there was so much blood that, that she just tried to stabilize me. And, and she gave me this great story. See, I never met them. And then after years later, I kept writing them um, thank you notes. And um, I can't remember what year it was, but the Kansas City Star found out about us. I think it was 2000 or something. And they organized this big meeting between us. And she told me this beautiful story that there was this big burly truck driver who had stopped. And that basically I had a day planner and all of my pages of my life were scattered all over the road. And so all these people stopped and they were just picking up the pieces of my life to bring it back together and try to figure out who I was and what I was doing. And this big burly truck driver had an old t-shirt and just came and like gently wiped my blood off of her face. Wow. Oh. You know, that that many people who don't even know me came together to pull it together for me. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, so, so, so that's a remarkable, that's a remarkable story. So this is all uh, happening outside at what point did you start with your near-death experience were you did, did it happen at the coma did it happen at the accident scene um i have meditated a little bit to try to remember the accident scene what i really remembered when i came out happened more i think probably after the coma part okay. um i remember being in a room um and so i don't know if that was at the hospital i don't really know where my body was at that time um but in my meditations i've you know like consciousness is consciousness those memories have to be there right mm -hmm. and they have to be able to i was somewhere and so i've tried to sit and meditate and i i have some memories of kind of coming up out of body and being above and just sort of everything's kind of hazy and white and you know it's christmas day so it's probably white and gray and snowy i don't i'm not sure but lots of swirly colors and then i remember coming back in body and going this is ridiculous this thing is so broken there's 
there's nothing I, I couldn't do anything it was like just hollow shell they 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 ambulanced me to back to my hometown um or my body <laughs> to my hometown um because if they, they there was a trauma doctor there who was only there like twice a, a month and she happened to be there that day otherwise they would have ambulanced me to Olathe which um I probably wouldn't have made it it's next to 20 minutes right so um and then they life flied me by helicopter to Kansas City after after I was stable or whatever they did with me there this is what they told you you, you, you don't yeah. you don't remember yeah, I don't any remember of any of this I don't see any of this, any any of this. <laughs> got it we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show no, this okay. is just so for for years I didn't really even talk about my NDE, not the woo woo part, because in Kansas I just felt like when I talk about that part people just kind of glaze over. They just can't take it in, right? It's right. either it's either scientists or Christians, and it doesn't. My experience doesn't fit fit into either one of those camps, so they couldn't really take that in, and so I just stopped talking about it. Right? Actually, I never really started talking about it. Just kind of closed up around it, and so all I would tell, but people could take in the miraculous healing I had. You know, so so they lifelied it. So I know more about that. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, not more, but you know, so they they lifelied me to Kansas City, and um, and then I spent about a about four weeks in a coma. Um, I think probably part of it was drug induced, but it, I don't know how much was drug induced and how much wasn't. Um, um, I broke my chin off. I had metal plates in my face. I broke six ribs, four front and back, punctured lung, cracked pelvis, broken ankle, head injuries, big swollen head. Um, yeah, that's kind of what happened to my body. Okay. And then what I remember is that, as I said, there's some of those memories that have kind of come back around the accident itself. It, you know, that's come in meditation later. What I remember is like opening my eyes and being in this really bright white lit room. And there's these six tall beings standing next to me, one, three on each side. And they're like these light beings. They're like, and I'd seen a light being in my house once when I was a kid. So I kind of knew what that looked like, you know, just sort of, they're very tall and kind of just this glowing. They kind of have a human form, but they just look glowing. They just glow. And um, and they emanate love. I mean, but like real love, not like the love that we put all the attachments and conditions on in this world. Like just okayness, like, hello, we are happy to be with you. And they they lifted me up out of my body. And then I was standing in this room with them and, and everything was bright white. I don't know if it was the hospital room. I don't remember seeing anybody else. I mean, it just was bright white and everything was just sort of white and like a space. And and then they, I remember embracing them and, and I felt like, wow, this is like family, like, but family without baggage, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and, you know, you feel this, this beautiful okayness from them. Like, you know, it's like reciprocity. It's like, they, they love you and they, they want to give to you and they, they give to you that love. But then when you receive it, it fills them up so much that it gives back to them. And that's how you create reciprocity. That's how it really functions in this world, frankly, just that we don't realize it. Mm -hmm. We're all hooked up in our heads. As we mentioned at the beginning. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so they, you know, a lot of it was just about do I come back or not? Um, they they showed me what would happen if or what I came to do, and I wish I could remember all that. That would be really make my life much easier. <laughs> mm -hmm. I um I understood that I had come to 
to kind of like a mission or for something to help represent them or they were, you know, part of my team or something like that. I call them the council. And we were kind of a team here and that I had chosen to come in the body. And was I going to stay? And they showed me uh, what I had done to this point. And I saw, you know, some memories of experiences I'd had in the past, and especially how I made other people feel, especially this good friend I had. Um, he was my best friend at the time and always wanted to be more than that. And I was too caught up in everything else that not ready for that. And um, I just saw how the way I had spoken to him, the way things that I had treated him, how I had really been with him, how that had hurt him. And I felt his pain from like his perspective, but also from mine. And it was it was really profound. Um, and then they also showed me, you know, like what my leaving that impact would have on the planet, you know, and I, and I, I say me, but I don't think that I'm unique in this. I think this is everybody, you know, that we are so much more impactful than we have been led to believe. And um, they showed me how my brother would be like, he would, would he would, he would, he would transform all his relationships with women from here on out. Maybe he would never even have a relationship. Um, it showed me kind of like looking out of um, an airplane at night at the, the city lights and you see like all the lights in the city and how they're all sort of connected. And if one light goes out, it can create like a power surge that spreads through the grid and bends others and puts others out and even far away. And it, like, so if a life goes out, it creates a, this, this surge through the power grid. And then that's what would happen if I left. And and then they showed me what was possible from here on out and you know that it wasn't too late i hadn't gone so far to really screw the pooch so to speak mm -hmm. <laughs> um and so did i want to go or stay you know i didn't want to come back i was like this is great i said i reneged my contract here i am i just really love it here and but you know i saw like you know so a lot of it was about me trying to make come to terms with that and I, I remember looking down at my hospital bed from like the corner of the room so like the, the door was here and then I'm looking at from the doorway top of the door and then the bed's over here and I remember seeing my mom holding my hand and just kind of sitting there and thinking I could feel I could feel what she was feeling and I remember thinking wow what have I done I can't do this I can't do this to her I can't do this to my family I can't do this to these people and um, I mean, come to find out, you know, my my whole all my aunts, and my uncles and everybody just came and camped out in the waiting room because uh, you could only see me three times a day um, in ICU uh, for 30 minutes at a time and only two people at a time. So they would just shift do shifts for um, the whole for weeks. Um, and yeah, and. Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, you know, I found out that I had received, my mom saved all the cards and everything that I'd received while I was in there. And there were hundreds of them. And there were like 50, 60 prayer grams from churches from people I don't even know. You know, and I just, so humbling. I'm like, wow, that that many people knew and were pulling for me, putting the energy out there to bring me back. You know, and I think I felt that on some level that I couldn't, I couldn't do this to all those people. But it was still really nice there. <laughs> and then the last thing I remember is um, being in a circle of these beings, and there were probably like twelve of them. And and I, I I didn't feel that was the first memory I had in coming back, and that's what I really was poignant with me. And I remember thinking, 
that I didn't really have a choice or that they were kind of debating whether I was going to go or stay or, or do we do like, do we switch out and someone else go in, you know, kind of that walk-in thing, which I don't think happened. I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. Or do we just totally scrap this thing or what are we doing here? And then um, I started waking up and waking up from a coma is, is hard. It's not like the movies. Hi, what I miss, you know, it's not like that. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of effort to get into body and to stay there. Um, and that was, I think that was the end of January of nine, uh, 94 that I, that started happening. And then they transferred me to a neurological hospital in Gardner, Kansas. Um, and that's where I started really waking up. And, you know, the miracles of the healing was that they said it would take four to six, four to six months to rehab from the neurological hospital. I did it four weeks. Um, they said I would never live on my own again. I would always need mental assistance. I'd be mentally handicapped. I'd be a miracle if I could, you know, sustain my own life. And none of that's true. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was a miracle. Um, but coming back into body was pretty challenging. Um, one thing I remember is like this friend of mine that I mentioned, he was also camping out in the waiting room to see me. And he was one time I was laying in the bed and I woke up and I, I saw him there and he was kind of sleeping. And I remember noticing the room and how that love space that I knew on the other side, that it was here. I could feel it. And then I was just willing him to wake up. Wake up, wake up. And I, you know, my mouth was all messed up. I couldn't, I couldn't speak. And he woke up and was like, Shauna, you're awake. And he, he, I was like, he mumbled something. And so I think he knew I wanted to know what happened. And he started telling me, and I, I don't remember what he said, but I remember looking in his eyes and seeing it's him, it's here, it's here. That energy that I see in those beings over there that you can see it in the eyes of every single person, it's here. And that love space that I felt on the other side, that that's the fabric of what holds here. That's here too. It's just, we can't see it, but it's the basis of everything. And it's what each of us is. We just have forgotten because we've been here for so long and got our own crap going on. <laughs> we get caught up in the play. We get caught yeah, up in the movie. Yes, thank you. Well said, well yeah. said. Yeah. We get caught up in the movie here. It's a pretty intoxicating movie, uh, I have to say. Sure is. It's got a lot of feelings to it. <laughs> yeah, there's no question. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, that's such a remarkable story. Uh, let's go back for a second. So when you're, when you wake up in this white room and you see these beings, you feel like they're family, but you don't see faces or recognize them. Correct. Mm -hmm. And are you telepathically talking to them at this point? Yeah. I would say that it was probably more that I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't remember like actually moving myself or anything. It just felt like it sort of came from me and came from them. And you had, uh, did you have some sort of download or understanding of deeper ideas than you do now, obviously, up there? Like, as far as what was going on, you kind of grasped what was happening a little bit yeah, better? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to say it. Because, like I said, I, I kind of, I, I, I understood that we were a team and that I had come here to sort of represent the team or I had the one who agreed to be in body or something like that. But it's hard to really put, words to that kind of concept because it was just sort of a download of an understanding like okay this is my tribe and these are the you know i'm the one who chose or we, we agreed on me coming here so we're going to continue this or not right it was very pragmatic it's like look man 
are we doing this or not? Like, you know, are you going to. And it was also reminding me about what it's really about. Love. Right. right? The real love, not the other stuff. Not, not, not this world's conditions of it. And then you were essentially given a, a life review as well. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember a whole lot about it except for the, um, the memory of how I treated my friend and, you know, also just seeing how, yeah, more, more, more than anything, it was, was, I remember noticing times when I was not acting out of love. So I have to ask you being, uh, that friend for many girls growing up, what happened? (laughs) I also love, I also was in the friend zone quite often growing up. So what happened to that friend? Did you, how did that relationship change or did it? Well, it changed a lot, you know, and he was really there for me because we were about to split it off, you know, when the accident happened. And then, you know, he told my mom, I don't know if I should be here or not. And she's like, what do you want to do? And he chose to be there. And, you know, of course we got, you know, really close after that and our hearts opened and and it became really quite something. But then after the accident and I started healing, um, probably, I'd say it was probably a year later, um, it kind of started falling apart again. I think he got used to me being broken and I was ready to be on my feet again and I wasn't as needy and, and I wasn't as, you know, and yeah. And, you know, the other thing that, that I have to say happened is that, when you have such an expansive experience like that, um, you get kind of blown open and that's great and beautiful. But the problem is you lose all your social filters and you lose like all that capacity of like you learned here all the way up to then about like how to speak in ways that someone, how to notice when someone can take something and, you know, and how to say it in ways or it usually just starts blurting out. And I'm sure there was some of that and, you know, the BS, fil- the, the, the BS filter kind of went away. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. And um, that's hard on people. No question. Let me ask you, though, when you were the miraculous healing, you come back, you start walking back through life. How did you deal with this psychologically? Like, how did you process in our little mainframe that is our head here? Because it seems like over a lot over there is just wide open you there's no limits to the power of of of, of computation here it's very limited so psychologically how did how did you deal with this and process it um so yeah at first it was really hard i slept a lot (laughs) um trying to stay awake and just stay in body was really hard i understand why they put park benches on downtowns on all the corners um um and then, you know, little by little, I got my strength back and I kind of started coming back in. And then I'd say, you know, when you ha- it's like when you have anybody, and many of your listeners have probably had spiritual experiences. And when you have that spiritual experience, it really blasts you open. It's like a full expansion. And then, but then always two or three days later, there's a contraction that happens where you start to kind of come back and you're like, oh, you know, well, this was like times 10. Right. And so I got blown open. And I mean, like the first time they took me out of the hospital, out of the neurological hospital on a drive to go to another hospital for some face work, face construction stuff, dental work. Um, I remember seeing grass. It's so amazing. It was just like this vitality coming up from the earth. And it was just like, wow, it's so beautiful. You know, and I was just so enamored with that. But then little by little, you know, the reality 
of what we're living, like what we do to each other, war, like why is war a good idea? How is that ever going to create peace, right? You know, I mean, the way people treat each other, it just the way that, and because like social filters are gone, but I'm also feeling everything so fully. And so it was like a bombardment to my senses a lot of times and just so overwhelming. And I would cry a lot on the state of the world. Just, what is this place? And um, I'd say a depression starts setting in. Um, mm. And at some point, probably, well, I went back to school and I was driving again. So I got out of the hospital in February and by that fall, August, I was living on my own and driving and going back to school. And I remember driving back from school and just thinking, you know, I can just run into that wall. Hey, car wrecks are efficient ways to, you know, and I was like, dude, you can't do that. You know, I mean, your parents just went through the, everybody just went through this with you. I mean, that would be just such a slap in the face. There was no way I could do that, but the thoughts were there. And um, yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard. It's the big contraction. And then I started um, journaling and, you know, just to process it all. And I would just write in free flow and just write all this process all these emotions that way and then you know kind of go into a trance a little bit you know just sort of just writing and writing and writing with whatever comes and then I started noticing that something would answer and it started answering my questions and it started giving me guidance and that's when I started working with the council on this side um Interesting. The, the light being from the other side and they became my biggest cheerleaders and my biggest helpers and explain to me this is what you should be doing right now this is a time in your life where you're rebuilding you're just setting up for future times you're just setting up for the future and now you know here i am in my four, late 40s and i'm like i get it this is what we were doing back then but back then, i mean i didn't get it you know i just trusted and but they taught me a really big um toolbox tool and that is to follow the expansion that when you're in contraction, it's really easy. And our, our whole society is set up to dive into the contraction. What's wrong? How do you fix it? You go to the doctor, what's wrong? How do we fix it? We'll find something wrong to fix. You know, if you go to the government, that's what they're focused on. All the, the social organizations are focused on what's wrong and how to fix it. But that's, and that's one way. But the, they were telling me that the real way is follow the expansion. You notice what's working, what's right. Where does it open? Where does it pull you? Where does it draw you? Because that's where your truth is. That's where your something resonates with you. And so I started kind of doing that. And <clears throat> they, my my boyfriend at the time, which wasn't the one from the accident, we'd already split up by then. He, we were working in restaurants. Um, that was my new job was working in restaurants. Film service industry, just a different, different venue. <laughs> um, and um, he had met a massage therapist and she was going to teach us him massage techniques and I was going to be the guinea pig. And like, we did one session and she and I really hit it off. She'd had a bad accident. We knew a lot about each other or um, connected a lot and then could never get the rest of the sessions together. And so she he, she just gave us one session for one of us or half or two. So I went, he gave it to me because I'm the one who's depressed and stressed out. And I sure. said, you know, why am I so unhappy? I'm. I have all the things. Okay, I figured it out. How to be here on this planet? You know, you need a car, you need a a relationship, you need a job, and maybe an education. And I've done all of that, and I'm miserable. Why? That's, that's what everybody tells me. I'm watching all these people here, and that's what they're all doing to be happy, right? And it's not working. And she said, maybe you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I said, hmm, what am I supposed to be doing? And she said. Have you thought about checking out this massage school? 
And I said, no, but I will definitely follow that. Because when she said that, something opened. Something was a yes. And I went there and I walked in and it just, and I knew this is it. This is the path. So then I drove to, uh, to, to my hometown and sat my parents on the couch and I said, I'm going to massage school and it's not prostitution. <laughs> Everybody thought it was. I tell you, even after I graduated, do you know, I had to go to the adult entertainment section in Kansas City and get fingerprinted and mug shotted in order to do massage. Oh my God. Yep. That was so, in 1996. <laughs> so, so let me ask you, um, while you were processing this entire thing, people who come back from near-death experiences are always changed. Uh, they're never the same again, mm -hmm. uh, at least from my experience. Totally. It was the ending so of me and the beginning of a new me. So the new me is not often accepted by your friends, family, colleagues, people around you. Mm -hmm. How did they deal with it? And then how did you deal with them dealing with it? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, um, when I first came back, I believed that everything I was before the accident was the reason the accident happened. I understood clearly that I had gotten off my path, that I was, I, I wrecked the ship. I understand that clearly. And I, that was maybe from that telepathic download, you know, during the NDE. I don't know, but I, I got it. And I became this, and, and because I was so sensitive, I, I couldn't even handle cuss words. It would just be like knives. You know, if someone cussed in front of me, it was just like, uh, so, you know, I became this Puritan that might say up here. And, you know, I just became this super straight sort of Puritan-like person and very pure, very, um, I don't mean Puritan in a religious sense. I mean, pure and um, tried to use the right words, tried to be kind, you know, very loving, cried at the drop of the hat about everything. Oh my God, the emotions that came out all the time. Um, and I think that, you know, it was very sweet <laughs> and people were really compassionate about it. You know, I think that my family, you know, in some ways they kind of saw the new, the, the little, little Sean again, you know, in some ways. Um, yeah, I'd say that it was, it's been harder for people, you know, because I've set up my life, you know, when I went to massage school, I've been doing body work and massage and healing work and intuitive work almost for 28 years now and so my life is set up so that I'm very structured that the people who can receive me come in and the people who can't I mean in Kansas I, did, I shut it down right I didn't let people in with, about the woo-woo part but they would come to my office because they knew I could help them right and for and I little by little and then information would come and I just start telling them things and it would help move their life forward and so little by little that's what people came for although I never hung a shingle about it right um but I would say that it's people who are outside of that, who are more maybe mainstream or I don't know. I mean, I don't even know what label to put on that, but people who are outside of that realm that I had set parameters are the ones who've had a harder time to deal with me. Even still, even still, people who are really attached to their viewpoints of religion, people who are really attached to their viewpoints of science, um, they have a really hard time in their whole Purposes to rationalize, for instance, or to religify what I experienced. Light beings must have been angels, right? Um, Jesus must have been there somewhere. Maybe. I mean, I've had experiences with him later, you know, and, you know, I've, I've had many spiritual experiences since then because it's sort of blasted me open and I still have that connection. 
but it wasn't in the NDE, right? Or, you know, when I came out and started talking about sitting in the circle of beings, um, the response was, oh, there must have been a show on TV about a, a, a trial and you just took that into your dream space, right? You know, and that that really set me on a tailspin because I was like, well, maybe I just imagined it all, you know, maybe I'm crazy or maybe, maybe just made it all up. And, you know, but then the council told me, even if that's true, Shauna, how else are we going to communicate with you than, than using what's around you to send you messages? It happens all the time. It happens all the time to all of us. In dreams. I yeah. used to find random fortune cookie fortunes all over the place. Just look down on the ground. There's a fortune cookie fortune, <laughs> you know. Now I find random playing cards, you know. I mean, you know. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. You, when you came back, it seemed like the veil between the other side has become thinner for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. It was a, you were already kind of out of the factory program that way. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, I, um, I nearly died when I was born. Um, when I was born, it was a pretty traumatic birth according to my mom. And I had what's called Highlands membrane disease, which is a lung disorder. And um, basically they, they, the doctors took me out, showed me to her, whisked me away and took me away to another hospital and told her I probably wouldn't live. And then two days later, my dad calls her and is like, hey, I'm still holding her, you know. Um, so I was like asking the council once, I'm like, what was that all about? You know, like, was that just to give me all these weird attachment disorders, you know? And they're like, no, because the veil, the you know, there's a door that shuts between the two sides when we're born. And it's kind of like that space between the lungs that closes off so that the heart starts functioning. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a door that shuts. And that for me, that door needed for some reason to stay ajar. And and that that's sort of the the gist of the beginning. Oh, that's a really interesting analogy, almost to kind of mm -hmm. say that because the door shut. But for for those who have these abilities, who can see, mm -hmm. you know, things and experience things from the other side, that door kind of swings mm -hmm. open and for. And then as you get, you could possibly learn how to keep it open or close. Or it as when like, you like. Case, as I got older and got scared, I learned how to shut the door. Right. And then the door had to be blasted back open. <laughs> and it did it. That's what ever. I came to do, right? <laughs> it did it ever. So yeah. what other what other abilities um did you come back with that you started to evolve, uh, come out of you? Well, I have that sensitive, you know, ability to feel others things. Empath? And like an yeah, empath? I'd say it's that. Um it's taken quite a bit of work to learn how to navigate that. <laughs> Much better at it now. I'm glad to have the parameters in my office. That gives me strong boundaries. Um, um, and then there's the the channeling with that I was doing through automatic writing. I could hear them. Um, and then that, well, that all started really coming full circle. And really, I'd say, you know, once I started doing body work, which I graduated massage school in 96. And so that was three years after the accident. And that was probably right about the time where I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel like I, my feet are on the ground here. Um, and a lot of times I'd be working with clients just doing massage, but then they'd start saying, you know, ask her about this or give me, or I'd get these impressions or I'd get these visions. And I was arguing with it. I'm like, that's crazy. I'm about anatomy, physiology. Nobody's going to believe this woo-woo crap around here. Sorry, woo-woo mm -hmm. stuff. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And so... Um, but they would be so loud that I'd finally just have to blurt it out. And then something amazing would happen with the person and it would be really important to them and it would start to transform the whole situation. And, and so that would happen. And I kind of just sort of 
for about 10 years of my practice, just sort of channeled at night and then did this connecting in during the sessions and just sometimes things would, would appear and information would come. Um, and then when we moved to California, uh, which was a whole weird serendipitous thing, um, I thought we were coming here for my husband and nope, we were coming here for NDE. <laughs> um, and for me to open. Uh, then people told me, no, people really want to hear about that spiritual stuff here. They're really open to that. They're not going to doubt you and they're not going to question you. And then I had to find words for it because I just, I'd never talked about it. I just kept that inside. Um, and that's when I started opening up about the NDE. And much to my surprise, you know, I held on to these nuggets, these memories of that, what I shared with you. But the, the more I start to open about it, the more it's like a, a flower that blossoms and then more information is there. And then, you know, my connection with the council became stronger. And then, you know, I was able to access more connection and information that way. So um, now they've basically taught me how to, now I focus a lot on trying to teach others to do this. I, They've taught me that, so the world is vibrational. I'm sure you know that. And that sound is a vibration. And so there, our name is a sound vibration that each of us have my, vibrated, have resonated with our whole life, right? So you can use someone's name as an anchor to tap into their energy. And you kind of go up in the matrix and you drop down in them. I like to know the location they are in the world because then I can drop down in them. And, and you know, you can't do it if they don't. I don't do it if they're not open and all that stuff. People get creeped out. You're going to be right. spying on me. No, right. <laughs> you feel the person. And, and I mean, well, first step is you have to know where you are. Because if you don't know where you are, you can't know where anyone else is. So I use my own name sometimes to drop into my vibration. Feel where I'm at. So that I, and that, that's been a whole challenge. I mean, everybody always talks about boundaries. You need better boundaries, you know, because with what, a, how open I was, but what's a boundary? Like, what the hell is that when you feel like everything just merges one into the other, right? And um, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I realized that if I was focusing on boundaries, I was either focusing on the other thing I was boundarying against, or I was using my attention to create a wall or some symbol to boundary myself. But if I just dropped in here and I dropped into my vibration and my frequency and then felt that, then I could just notice when something shifted me. And then when it makes me sort of, it bumps into me, then I, instead of, our tendency is to be like, what is that? What are they doing to me? Or what's wrong with me for feeling like that about that person? But both of those are projections. So if I instead just notice that's information, and then I could get really curious about it. Hey, what is this? I know where I am right now. And this, you know, or as I went up to drop into this person, this is what it feels like, right? And it's mm. been challenging. I mean, sometimes my mind's like distracted all over the place. And I'm like, gosh, I got to call this person. I always drop in 15 minutes before a session. And I'm like, I, I got TikTok, right? You know, and and then I realized, oh, a distraction is not me. <laughs> That's their <laughs> path. That's what they're doing. I got it. And then, then, you know, and then I have a little process that I do that um, helps me create a framework of questions to understand and kind of settle into what's going on with that person before I call them. So that's sort of one thing I do. And then I work on teaching other people to feel their own vibrations so that they can navigate the world that way. 
So do you when you're when you channel the the the, the guides, are you able to? I mean, I, I, as you know, I've had a lot of channels on the show, so I'm always fascinated. Mm-hmm. And I, everyone's process is a slight bit different. Do you? Can you just like hold on? Let me ask. And then they pop in. Oh, okay, but is it something like that, or is it only through automatic writing, or does it just come sporadically? Can you control that opening? Um, a little bit. Um, it, it all depends on what my crazy mind is doing at the time and how anxious I am. Sure. Mind <laughs> sure, sure. thing. Um, but in general, it used to be that it would just sporadically happen, and then I started trying to track down like what are the what do I feel it's telling me that's going to happen, and it used to be a buzz behind my ears. And I would notice this and be like, oh, okay. And then um, and then at some point, probably about seven or eight years ago, they told me that things were changing on the planet and that I would it would they were still there, but that it would be harder to feel them. And that the, the, the way of feeling them would be different. And and I didn't feel the buzzing anymore for that. But I can settle in and sort of drop back to that falling back space, and then I can sort of be in touch with them and feel them. And that's also the space I go into when I'm with other people and feeling what's going on with them. So when did you come out of the near-death experience closet? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like when you went to LA or California. Uh, Right, 2015, for God's sakes. Is that the first time you really started to like Mm -hmm. really open up about it? And then when did you start doing interviews and like really getting out there? Well, so um, in 20, I think it was 2013, probably, um, Spirit told me, well, my husband was was working with spiritual teachers at the time, and he had met his root teacher, uh, whose name was Moksananda, and he was here in Santa Cruz, and he'd met him and had an awakening with him and had been working with Moki um, via Zoom, or, or I don't think it was via Zoom, I don't know what, what it was at the time, but distance, um, as at that time, and spirits told me, council told me, hey, it's time for you to meet Moki. Whenever it happens, it's going to happen. And, you know, I was home with the baby. He was the one traveling doing all these spiritual things because I was home with the baby. Um, my son was probably, he would have been six or seven at that time. Um, and old enough that I can start traveling. And so I told him, hey, whenever it happens is the right time. Just make this trip happen. And we go there and... Uh, Moki had organized a dinner with like 10 people the first time we were there, which was not really as intimate as I had really anticipated with my husband's spiritual teacher, but okay. And we met a bunch of people. They were interesting, a really interesting sound healer and another guy, you know. And then the next night we're downtown Santa Cruz and we're we're in a bookstore and we're trying to roll out of the bookstore, but we keep losing people, keep losing people. How do we roll out? And it just happens at that moment. There's a guy standing next door and he's someone that we'd met the night before. And he has this whole idea for um, a television series around near-death experience. He thinks Santa Cruz is a place for that to happen, and he's got some money, and he wants to throw it that way. Um, he didn't have enough money for a TV show. This was, you know, don't forget, this was 2013. This was long before a lot of this stuff is going on now. Um, and so he's the type of guy who meets all the, who can go to a conference and meet all the keynote speakers. And... So he met Raymond Moody and got the Moody's on board with this. And so the Moody's came, he brought the Moody's to Santa Cruz and us to Santa Cruz. And we met, it was like, wow, these are my people. So my first interview was actually with Raymond. Um, and it wasn't very good. It was Raymond going, so tell me about your experience. And here was my response. What do you want to know? 
<laughs> not a very good. <laughs> You've gotten better. Wife, You've gotten better. Thank you. Cheryl, his <laughs> wife started saying, you got to quit self-editing. So you're self-editing. And that's when I started really having to learn what that means. Um, so that was the first interview. And then um, we got a, we decided to try to make a movement happen in Santa Cruz. And we had, so we were going to do symposiums and get a class at UCSC, which we did. My husband co-taught it with Raymond for one semester. But then the whole thing, you know, our, our benefactor kind of just lost interest and the whole thing sort of fell apart. And after I'd moved me, my family, my cat, the whole thing to California, where cost of living is three times my mortgage. <laughs> oh, my God. Spirit brought me here and let me drop. Um, so it's been a hustle, you know, to just sort of, you know, um, but, you know, thanks to Raymond's help and um, and the IONS groups. You know, I started speaking, I think the third first public speaking I did was at an IONS group in Saratoga, and then I did an IONS group in Berkeley, and I spoke in Marin, um, and, you know, became really close to a lot of those facilitators, and then, um, and then when COVID hit, everything went online, and I think I, oh, I also spoke in Arizona, and I also went to, was invited to the IONS board meeting once in Florida as a consultant, sure. And sure, stuff sure. like that, I did a lot of IONS stuff, um, and then once, like I said, when COVID hit, then I think I got some podcasts. Someone found out about me through something and, and that's where it's been. Now here I am with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. What is the biggest lesson you pulled away from this entire experience for you? You have to live in love. You have to live in love. That's the answer. That's what it's all about. And that's the way home. We're all here trying to find our way home. We've all forgotten who we are. We've all forgotten where we came from. But we know there's something in us in our hearts that want us to go back to that space, that love space that we came from. And that's, I think, if you ask me, that's what every life is about. You know, it's a little wackadoodle sometimes in our efforts and, you know, all that stuff. But that's essentially what we're trying to do here. And if you always try to act from a place of love, then you're going to find your way. You know, and, and love is what expands you, what's what opens you, it's what draws you to it, you know. It's beautiful. And I, and I love that when you were in your coma and you looked at your your friend and you said when you looked in his eyes, you could see the light being inside of him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's in, almost inside of the suit, inside of the costume. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it seemed like you were still, had one foot in the other side of one foot yeah. in this, because like, you were still like, not fully alive, but not fully gone. Mm -hmm. I still see it. I, I see it in you, Alex. I see it in you. Yeah. I mean, you can still see it. You know, it's still there. You just have to move your consciousness back into that love space and remember that, you know. And I mean, I'm fortunate to have had that blessed open experience of, of really having that imprinted on my system, my mind-body system here, you know. But it's in everyone. It's in every single one of us. We just have forgotten. Uh, uh, Sean, I'm going to ask you a few questions to ask all my guests. What is your definition of living a fulfilled life? Mm, fulfilled life. I think that's probably different for each person. Um, but for me, being of service, really, it's so gratifying to watch people transform and change. I had some sessions yesterday that were just, you know, mm. someone who hasn't slept for days called me and said, I slept last night, you know, and, oh. you know, because, because we got in touch with her inner child and listened instead of trying to control it, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know, just be of service and to be able to help transform this world in even small ways is, is, is it, is it, is it. If you had a chance to go back in time and talk to the little girl that you used to be, what would, what advice would you give her? 
don't watch The Exorcist. (laughs) (laughs) Stay open. It'll all be much better that way. (laughs) One, don't watch The Exorcist. Just stop there. Two, careful with that drive on Christmas. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Totally. totally, totally, totally. But you know what? You know, and I, I love asking that question because when you look back, we all look back to our lives. And we all say, oh, I wish that we would have done that differently. Or I wish I wouldn't have walked down that path. But at the end of the day, that's who we are because of it. Yeah, you know, the 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 NDE, I mean, we were standing outside of that that um, restaurant where that guy that we met the night before us, and he comes over and I'm thinking, this is about my husband. You know, he's the one whose spiritual teacher's here. He's the one who wants to be here. I'm just, you know, along for the ride. First words out of that guy's mouth is, do you know anything about the near-death experience? And I had never had anybody even, I didn't even know that phrase at the time. Because I had never, I'd never went out and researched it. It wasn't really an internet thing at the time. And um, that changed everything. And that one, you know, had I not had an Indian, maybe I wouldn't have even ended up in California. Right? It just, sometimes I look back and I think maybe it all had to happen anyway. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It is all a divine plan. Yeah, it's it's this divine organization that in that light, I think it's important to recognize that we are co-creators with the divine. Well, obviously you went off track because you could have gone that that path. Right. And it's really interesting because if you would have maybe gone on the path that you were supposed to be on, Mm -hmm. it might be different. But you learned so much on this path. Who knows what you would have learned on the other one? Mm-hmm. And where you would be, maybe you would have gotten to the same place, mm-hmm. just a different way of going about it. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe no idea, but it's there's no waste. Uh, no, no, there's not. And even if you get kicked off track, even if you're your co-creator, so even if you choose to take the other path, they're pretty persistent. Like we said in the beginning, it's a whisper, and then it's a yelling, and then it's a. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they arguably they have nothing else to do on the other side, so they're like, look, all we have to do is watch <laughs> this one. Boom, boom, boom. Let's just keep slapping her around until something happens. <laughs> well, I kind of come to learn to it that, you know, um, a concept. So this council has kind of taught me this concept of what I call the tribe. And that, you know, we're not talking about guides and our ancestors and all of these beings that are here helping and assisting us in different times in our lives. But there's also these beings. I like to explain it for lack of better, just for a concept. Like if we each came from our own planet and in on that planet, Everybody there is of a similar vibration that you are and a similar love frequency. And that when you're going to come and your consciousness is going to travel through space time to come to planet Earth, there are a certain amount of beings that are close to your family there that agree to accompany you on this journey or maybe stay after your body there and accompany your consciousness here. And that they're so close to you that you often don't even feel them as separate. But they're the ones who do that little serendipity thing. Like, you know, look, you, you look at the clock and it always says one, 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 you know, or, you know, you need something and it happens to appear or, you know, you find fortune cookie fortunes everywhere, you know, or whatever. Right. And, and that it's important to recognize that, you know, that's what the council is for me. It's that tribe that is here guiding each of us, you know, and we all have that. It's a, you know, it's a soul family, a soul family. In some soul ways. family. That's a good word for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I think that so many of us are so busy looking out there for help. We forget to drop in here because when mm. you drop in here, then you can yeah. feel them. Yeah. Well, the answers are all inside. 
they're never outside of us right. uh, without question. Now, how do you define God? The great all that is. Um, yeah, it's that ever present pregnant possibility, pregnant potentiality. It's this vibration of love that holds everything. And that is at the one, same time, the void and all the emptiness where everything is nothing. And at the same time, pregnant potentiality where everything can spring forth from it, you know, and it's, it's, and it all comes forward in love and it's always there for working in our benefit, working in our favor, even if we can't see it. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? Find your way home. And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? My website, www.chanaristic.com. And yeah, that's the best place to find it. Find me. And do you have any parting messages for the audience? Mm, trust yourself. Trust yourself in here, in your heart, you know, and and follow the expansion. Follow what opens you, what draws you to it. And no matter what your mind says, get out of the active crazy mind and just drop back into this receptive place. <laughs> Shauna, thank you so much for, for sharing your story, being so raw and honest about it. And uh, I hope this helps some people out in the world. So I appreciate you and what you're doing for the planet. So thank you. Thank you, thank you Alex. It was really great to spend the time with you. I enjoyed it. I want to thank Shauna so much for coming on the show and sharing her story with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 289. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.